0: Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guests today are Eric Battelli and Mark Nardone from Music Connection Magazine. But let's start first of all with Spotify and the record labels. I don't know if you know, but the major labels have owned 18% of the equity of Spotify, And basically what they did was when it came to licensing the music, they said, yeah, no problem. You give us some dough and you give us this particular rate, but also give us some equity. And then you can have the licenses. So they drove a hard bargain, but in fact, then received a whole lot of equity, which now they're selling. And this is a result of Spotify going public recently. So the major labels have a bunch of Spotify equity, and now they're starting to sell it off. Warner's sold about 75% of their equity and raised about 400 million dollars as a result. Sony sold 50% of their equity and raised 750 million. And Merlin, which is the organization of indie record labels worldwide, they sold 100% of their equity and got somewhere north of 100 million. No one knows exactly what it is, but it's somewhere between 100 and 200 million. Okay, Merlin's easy. Since it's indie record labels, all that money was distributed to those record labels, and everyone knew that was going to happen, so no big deal. But the big thing was, what would Warner and Sony and Universal do with their windfall? And everyone thought, well, this is going to go to the bottom line, and artists will never see a dime, but that's actually not what's happening. Warner and Sony are going to share the money with their artists and associated labels. Now, that brings up the next question. Okay, you can share the money with artists, but what if they owe the label money? What if there are unrecouped balances? Would the money go to pay off those balances and therefore never leave Sony's hands and never get into the artist's hands? Well, Sony isn't doing that. Sony is ignoring the unrecouped balances and doing the right thing and giving the money directly to their artists. So hats off to them. That's pretty cool. Warners is going to do that, but only if it's in a contract that you sign. So in other words, if you had an attorney that was smart enough to see this coming and said, you know what? If there's a windfall from Spotify, we want to see some of it, then you're going to get it. If not, then you're not going to see anything. But here's the thing. Songwriters are getting nothing. Nope, there's nothing going to songwriters or publishing. And the reason why is... The record labels were pretty good at driving a hard bargain to get equity, but the publishers were not. So there was never any equity that was distributed to publishers, and therefore, writers aren't seeing a cent from this windfall from Spotify going public. Now, this is just a little more salt in the wound because basically, the labels make about four times as much as publishers and songwriters do from a stream. And in many cases, it might be as much as 10 times as much. So songwriters aren't making all that much money from streaming to begin with, and now they're making even less because of this windfall coming from Spotify. That being said, the major labels are doing the right thing. They're doing something that no one ever expected, and they're sharing it with their artists. So again, it's a good thing if you're an artist signed to a major label because, for once, they're actually looking out for you. (laughs) have any questions or comments, please send them to questions at BobbyOwnerCircle.com. Check out my Hitmakers Club for access to the Private Mixers Facebook group, monthly deconstructed hits, mixing workshop, and Q&A webinars. For a short time, access to my core training module bonus. Go to HitmakersClub.com to learn more. Now, modern music is a very interesting hybrid of loops and live. So in other words, where once upon a time you had a live rhythm section that kind of built the basis of the song, now that's mostly derived from a loop or a number of loops. Then there's real live musicians that play over the top in many cases. and Of course, not as many musicians as there used to be, but there are some. So you have this hybrid, and that's kind of what modern pop music is. But not only modern pop music, it's actually going to other genres as well. And even jazz and classical, you're starting to see this starting to happen. So where did looping actually come from? You'll be surprised. Now, if you know anything about music history, you'll probably think, well, it probably came from like Bill Laswell and Adrian Sherwood and the people in the beginning there in the 80s and late 90s. Those were the ones that were actually responsible for the beginning of the looping generation that we have. Well, you might be surprised, though, that this actually started in 1972 with Robert Fripp. Yes, the guitar player and founder of King Crimson and later contributor to Peter Gabriel and Bowie and the Talking Heads. He developed something called Frippertronics. Frippertronics was two Revox reel-to-reel tape recorders. And the trick there was... The supply reel on one tape recorder would actually feed the take-up reel on the second tape recorder. You got about a three to six second loop as a result. And the amount of time was dependent on how far away the second tape machine was from the first. Now what happened is, you get a little bit decay with each pass of the tape. But that's what we loved about it, because it was so analog. What started to happen then is... And Brian Eno used this technique on a number of ambient albums and actually started that whole trend, that whole musical genre of ambient. And it came from Frippertronics, these two real to real tape machines. And of course, there are a number of hardware devices that will do that now without having to lug two big tape machines around. You have the Boss RC3 and the RC30, the Lexicon Jamman that was out for a while. And also a really great plug-in called the Elotronics XL. And this is actually a free plugin, but it will give you up to 80 seconds of looping on it. So it's very, very cool. But as you've seen from people like Ed Sheeran, who does this so well when he plays live, loops are here to stay. Loops are the sound that we're used to listening to on most modern music. But it all started way back when in 1972 with Robert Fripp. Music Connection magazine has been a bible for musicians, songwriters, artists, engineers, producers, and music execs since its first issue in 1977. The magazine has now grown from a local Los Angeles publication to national distribution and now features everything from reviews of artists and bands' live performances and albums to extensive directories ranging from music attorneys to recording studios to publicists and much more. My guest this week is co-founder and publisher of the magazine, Eric Batelli, and longtime senior editor, Mark Nardone, who will give you an inside look at both the history of Music Connection and what it takes to publish a music magazine. We spoke via Skype from the company's offices just outside of Los Angeles. Tell me how this all got started. Music Connection is iconic now because it's been around for so long. One of the few magazines that's lasted through multiple eras of the music business.
1: How did it start? Well, how it started was uh, a friend of mine who happened to be a, a musician playing local clubs, writing songs. It was his idea. His name is Michael Dolan. Mm. Uh, him and I, um, he's no longer part of the organization. We had an amicable divorce in, 19, in 2010. But back then, um, I was uh, actually working in the studios. I was a studio projectionist, an IATSE projectionist. And um, never was a musician other than playing a little guitar in high school. But uh, I had taken a leave of absence from my job because I just wasn't happy with what I was doing. I was in my 20s. And uh, I said, "Just I'm just going to chill for a while. So he gives me a call. And he says, I've got this idea for a magazine, a music magazine. I said, OK. He goes, what are you doing in your life? I go, I'm doing nothing. And I said, I'm kind of looking for something to do. And uh, at the time, there was... Uh, which I'm sure you remember a publication called The Recycler. Sure, And all the musicians at that time put their ads in the Recycler, either to sell their instruments or to find players. And it was his idea to come up with a a publication that could cater to these LA local musicians that not only would uh, a place where they could buy and sell instruments, where they could find each other, but also offer them jobs. Because at the time, there was a publication for actors called Dramalog, which is no longer around. It got absorbed by a a publication called Backstage, which was the New York version. And uh, what we wanted to do was do a a musician version of Dramalog. Dramalog had casting notices. So we came up with an idea of having a gig guide where musicians could find jobs. And we had a songwriting column. And... uh, a music theory column and it was just a little 16 page book uh one of michael's friends was in the printing business and eyes called scott printing he goes well i got a friend who's a printer i went to high school let's go talk to him how to put this thing together i went okay so it all happened within about a 60 day period and uh he michael basically came up with the content and i went out to music stores i went to the post office got a permit i mean neither one of us had any experience in publishing zero and uh got a little office on hollywood and the you know, security pacific bank building there uh, rent was 185 dollars a month and open shop and the first issue uh, came out november 10th of 1977. i took it around to all the newsstands and the music stores like nadine's all the folks that were around back then and everybody was receptive And that's how it began. And here we are 40 years later.
0: Pretty amazing, actually. Again, for anything to last for that length of time and still be prosperous, that's pretty amazing. So congratulations on that. But let's talk about the differences in the business, because you've seen both the publishing business change and the music business change multiple times since then. Radically. That being said, how did you roll with it? How did you figure out how to roll with it? when you saw it happening? Cause many businesses don't obviously.
1: Well, I think Michael and I both were kept track of the trends. Uh, you know, we were always in touch with the, the readership and the advertisers and the advertiser, the readership really was our advertiser. So it's a very close connection between the people that advertise. And back then it was mostly, you know, local recording studios, rehearsal studios, uh, vocal teachers and the like, uh, and we just try to stay on top of it all. The first five years, we didn't have people on our cover. We, we, we had a, the first several years, the magazine kind of looked like the old Hollywood Reporter, where there was print on the cover with a little banner around the bottom, and uh, our first four-color cover, the reason we went, by the way, we were always a two-color publication. Back then, color was very expensive, uh, but our first four-color cover was because Fender Guitar bought six back cover ads, and that helped us finance going four-color. And our first cover was Jeff Skunk Baxter back in uh, April of 83. And uh, we that's where we began using color. But getting back to your point, uh, we just kept track of trends, and, and we wanted to be on top of it. More than anything, what we wanted to do was provide information to musicians. I'll turn off my cell phone uh and uh so that's kind of how you know i would just say you know both of us were just very diligent on staying top on uh, top of trends and just being timely and providing information as best we could to the music community
0: that being said there's always been a format to the magazine it's pretty much stayed the same in terms of there's education there's lots of ads and you still have plenty of ads there's a nice classified section and there's the directories. And I always thought the directories really set you apart because that was something that was really useful for everybody besides what else you were doing. Oh, reviews as well. You always had the reviews.
1: Right. Well, at that time, there wasn't any, any publication that I'm aware of that was reviewing unsigned artists and bands. Yeah. And that was the opportunity that we gave to... Uh, the local community, because back then we were pretty much just local. We were LA County, I New mean Orange County, and we wanted to, uh, you know, give coverage because, like I said, Michael, being a musician, that's where he came from as uh, being an unsigned artist, and he thought it'd be a great idea to, you know, give coverage to, to the bands, and then the directory idea was just well, let's let's provide lists of you know managers, agents, uh, music attorneys, rehearsal studios. Uh, at that time there was there was no internet uh, it was really tough to, to you had to go to like yellow pages literally yeah to find out uh, a rehearsal studio so we did that and um, you know that's so much more than what the recycler was offering because the recycler was still just classified uh, so it was like an extension of you know giving the local musician singer songwriter uh, a place to uh, to to join, to join up and and network and find uh, information for their career.
0: Now, as a local magazine, predominantly local magazine, what was that like in terms of competition with the national magazines? Was there a competition or, or was it just something that was kind of like taken for
1: granted? You guys do this, we do that. Or how does that work? Well, back then you did have magazines like Mix Magazine was around guitar player was very big in its field keyboard player those kind of magazines but we never really competed with them there was another publication that started in the bay area and you may recall it called bam oh yeah Bam. Um, that we had a little bit of competition for the advertising but they were more san francisco based and i'm not saying maybe a little bit more fan based than we were because we were really hardcore musician singer songwriter engineer producer record company people you know we we really wanted to provide the the connection so to speak between the person on the street and the person at the labels sort or of the elite so to speak yeah who is your reader who's your typical reader our typical reader ranges from being a a a, a struggling singer songwriter up into the the highest echelon of people in the music business uh it goes all the way across and we uh, as well as managers agents uh record company executives producers engineers primarily musicians singer songwriter would be the the largest share of the audience both struggling and very very successful in the, without bragging it's brian wilson's favorite publication that's <laughs> what i've been t- that's cool <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a nice i'm such a brian wilson junkie i
0: mean yeah yeah yeah
1: start of our era
0: (laughs) so what's the secret sauce of the magazine if you had to pick a section what is the most important one
1: i don't believe there's the most important section i think it's tailored to to the reader i mean some people just love the reviews uh others like barry rudolph's column the new toys the the the, the gear stuff some people just love the cover stories and the, the way we cover them because you know when we Do a cover story. It's more for the um, you know more towards someone, geared towards someone in the business, not so much like a fan. We the, the questions that the writer usually asks are more related to being a performer or a songwriter than you know what kind of car you drive or something that People Magazine might do or Entertainment Weekly. You know, it's it's very industry trade oriented.
0: You know, I'm different the way I look at it. My favorite piece of the magazine is actually the adverts, surprisingly enough. And the reason why is there are a lot of manufacturers, for instance, or national entities. Sometimes you're getting a different ad than they're putting out in the national magazines, I've noticed. It's a little more targeted, a little different. But also, it's a good way to keep up with what's actually going on in the community. You know, you look at the rehearsal studios that are advertising, or the producers, or the, you know, whoever has a service, it's a good way to figure out, well, this is what's going on, this is hot now, this isn't, and just from the adverts and people trying to get business. I love it. And the fact that there are still people doing that, and you haven't, well, maybe you have, but as far as I can tell you haven't really taken a hit on adverts where those type of service adverts are still there and still thriving. That's very cool.
1: Well, you know, we're it's almost like last man standing. I mean, there's not a lot of other places to really go, at least print-wise. And uh, just to touch on the internet, we do at musicconnection.com, we put up the entire magazine. So if you don't want to go to the, the 7-Eleven or, or, or music store and buy it, you can certainly access it for free and get the entire publication, where some publications only give you a little bit for free, and they charge. And we went back and forth with that and decided, you know, for those who just want to go online and read the mag, let's do it. So, But the advertisers get, get a boost on that, too, because all the ads are online, and they're all linked to their websites. So it helps them as well.
0: Mm. Yeah, it's a good way to do it. What's the circulation? Is that grown? Is it because of what's happening in the magazine business?
1: Well, circulation-wise, uh, you know, we, we run like twelve to fifteen thousand copies. It, it hasn't it hasn't grown a lot uh, in the last several years because of what's happening with print. But what what we've done is, we send our publication to more conferences than any other music magazine. You know, I, there's all, always NAM and AES, but we also do the Americana Folk Alliance. Uh, there's conferences all over the country, usually three to four every month. That we'll send several hundred copies to Taxi, um, ASCAP Expo. So where the where the newsstand has not been stri- or thriving like it used to, we've made that up with give, doing free magazines to musician, singer, songwriter. Uh, oriented events, Pensado Awards, we're the key sponsor, we have it there. So anything that relates to people in our business, we do uh, magazines in the in the goodie bags or they'll be in publication bins. And we send two to 3,000 copies usually every month to various conferences throughout the country.
0: Wow, that's a lot. Now, that being said, you started as a local magazine and Music Connection is not any longer.
1: No, that... Uh, no, it, it became, uh, well, it, it started going national sometime in the late 80s, early 90s. But then we, then in 2008, uh, we went to a monthly format. Prior to that, we were every two weeks for the first 32 years. And then we decided to go monthly. And at that point, you know, we, we really were fully national, but being in the guitar centers and Barnes and Nobles and, you know, it's, it's national, but it still has, as a, uh, What's her name? Uh, Le- um, Leanne Jones, the Gallup in San Francisco. Um, Leslie Ann Jones, yeah. She says you're California-centric, and we are. You know, it, it, it's 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 a national publication that's California-centric, and uh, you know, a larger share of our distribution is within Southern California, but it still can be found outside of California, and we do try to keep it keep a nice balance there. But we're still somewhat California-centric. Then again, the the majority of the industry, I, I still believe, is in Southern California.
0: Yeah, I believe that too. And you know what's interesting? I'm just thinking, I came from Pennsylvania originally, and I'm thinking, okay, if I was back there in Pennsylvania, and I got a copy of Music Connection, I was looking at it, and even though it's California-centric, that's where I want to go. I want to know what's happening there. So in fact, that doesn't hurt you at all. I think that plays to the strength of the magazine.
1: I, I believe that, too, and I think you'd find the same thing with a publication like Hollywood Reporter or Variety, even though they're fully national, they're California or L.A., Southern Cal-centric, because so much of the industry is here.
0: Yeah, yeah. So,
1: exactly. So, for a musician or, or an engineer, producer in Pennsylvania, you know, the, the the information is relevant, but then, even though it leans towards this coast, that's where they want to be, or they know that's where... They, the majority the actions.
0: Well, that's where the bar is set as well. And you know, okay, no matter what I'm doing, I have to be at least whatever's going on there. That That's where I'm there aiming for. Well, that's very cool. Let's talk to Mark for a little bit.
1: So so just, you know, Mark came to the company 20 years ago. I'll let him take it from there. He's uh, my right-hand guy and uh, does a tremendous job for uh, for us. Yeah, And I'll uh, have him uh, come in. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Bobby.
0: Thanks, Eric. Mark, tell me your background. Tell me where you were before you got to Music Connection.
2: I was doing uh, freelance writing uh, mainly for record labels. Uh, Warner Brothers was one of my accounts. I worked for Rick Rubin's American Recordings label uh, for a couple of years. Heidi Robinson was my boss, and we had a great time doing a newsletter for them. And people tended to like that, so I got more gigs through that, and it kind of fanned out to different other labels, you know, Capital and and, and, uh, smaller indie labels. And I wrote articles for... You know with uh, alternative rock magazines and so forth but my initial uh, dream was was the film business i was a usc film major you know so i was a screenwriter and i had my deals going trying yeah. to get movies yeah. made and i had a couple yeah. tv things done but didn't get the big uh, the big movie deal. so i started looking for a way oh. to just you know really make a, oh, okay. uh, a day-to-day living and uh the music that thing that was that's always that's one of my my yeah. passions i had been in bands in a couple of bands in Hollywood, actually, that we play clubs. So I know, I know what it's like to be a working, trying to make it musician. You know, lugging your gear around. You know, uh, trying to get an A and R guy out to your show, and then he doesn't show up. And you know, I know all about that. You know, so I really kind of was drawn to Music Connection. I saw like a real kinship there. I understood what uh, what the readers wanted from the content there, and. Uh, you know, in the past uh, 20 years I've been here, I really tried to, to honor that sort of mission that was set by Michael Dolan and, and Eric Batelli. And we've expanded on it. Now we have a podcast. We do that once a week. We have both name brand people as well as, um, as uh, rising stars on there. So we're, as Eric was saying earlier, I mean, most of what we try to do is we always keep in mind the, 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 the musician looking for career advice that he can't get elsewhere. So if you see a cover story on Odessa, this you know, EDM duo, and it's not really your thing, well, we we have questions we ask you know, every artist that's going to apply to every artist. So they'll have struggles they're going through that will apply to a hip hop artist or to a rock artist. you know. So we're always uh, mindful of the fact that people are starving for information and how to guide their career when they don't have a manager, or when they have a manager but they're not sure if it's the right person yet. And so we're always talking to industry experts. We have you know, roundtable interviews with you know, audio engineers like yourself and, and experts who've, who've written books about the, these subjects and really kind of have a lot of insight to offer. So we're always looking for, 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 for a way to pass that along to our readers.
0: When you started at Music Connection, did you start as a writer first?
2: Uh, no, i had never written for the magazine. Uh, it was basically just uh, an L.A. Times ad, and they were looking for uh, associate editor. And uh, I jumped at that. Michael Dolan liked me, hired me, gave me the job, and uh, a few months later the senior editor left. So there I was, you know, I was now the senior editor of I'd never managed a writing staff before. I, I mean it was I was up to my eyeballs and management uh, you know 101, you know. And uh, but you know, got through that. And back in those days we had a, you know, you needed a bigger staff to pull this off. So we had like, you know, twenty people sometimes in our office writers freelance writers coming through the windows you know trying to get 30 minutes of my time and now it's much more uh sane around here there's fewer people it's quieter it's it's you know you can do a lot of stuff like we're doing right now you know and uh so it's it's uh, we managed to, to put out a lot of product with not an army of people you know we have our freelancers out there great columnists like dan Campbell and bernard bauer and they, they they're so adept at what they do they both teach at mi musicians at institute in hollywood um, so these are people that really know the business have, have been, you know, into it for few years and really are always, uh, uh, trying to convey the latest essential information that young musicians especially need to, to know. But also, as Eric was saying, you know, more established people read this magazine as well and they dig it, you know, for, 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 for what they can get out of it. You, you yourself, I heard you, you like the advertising, you always sort of uh, entertained by the different ads that we have, which is true. These are not as you see in your typical publication.
0: You have a very low-key presence as compared to other magazine editors. Oh, really? Uh, well, I think so because I don't see you at a lot of industry gatherings. And I see Eric a lot, but I don't necessarily see you. And there are other magazine editors that I'll see just seem to have a higher profile than you is that intentional is that just something just the way it goes or
2: i think uh in a way i mean eric tends to go to a lot of tech oriented uh confabs which is not really my thing you know so he'll go to different nam oriented things or he'll go to something that's uh, more about you know uh, roland's new keyboard product or something that's not something that's going to draw me necessarily i'll go out and i'll see bands i'll go out and I'll see, you know, A&R people running out in the world there. But uh, I tend to not go to uh, the manufacturing industry angle, you know, aspect of the business. I'm, I'm more about the uh, performers and, uh, you know, I will sometimes, you know, go to a BMI event, an ASCAP event, a CSAC event. If it's about really what we do, uh, what I do day to day, which is trying to find new information that's going to help our readers, uh, you know, a- advance their career. Well, let's talk
0: about that for a second. So a lot of people know the term editor, but they don't really know exactly what that means. What's your day-to-day gig?
2: Day-to-day, you know, it's like up to your eyeballs and email right away. I got, got about 350 to 400 emails a day, which I have to, you know, weed through. Um, phone thing has gone way down, thankfully. But uh, because of that, you don't really get to know uh, your, your, your contacts as well. I mean, you don't you can't identify that voice. They don't invite you out to dinner as much as they used to. That kind of thing. So you don't really have a lot of personal connection to people. But you're basically, you know, trying to find the best information for the next or the next two or three issues. You know, so a lot of it is, you know, we do the obviously we have a print magazine, we have a podcast, we have a daily website, which every day we have new information on that homepage, and uh, we give away gear every week. Every Friday we give away a free piece of gear that's anywhere from what is it, $300 to $1,000 worth of gear? You know, amps, guitars, sound panels, you name it. So we have a lot of things going on here day to day that have to be addressed. And uh, I also work with folks like yourself, experts you want to contribute an article now and then. And so we groom your articles, make sure they're, they're right for the mag to find out which part of your new book is, is, has got a nugget in there that, that's perfect for an upcoming issue. And so I'm always working about three issues ahead you know, makes my year go by
0: pretty quick. I bet. Wow. Okay. So three issues ahead. And now I know everybody has an editorial calendar, but I also know that, that they're flexible and they move as they have to. So when you're three issues ahead, does that mean that you're conceptualizing like the third issue ahead or are you actually getting writers and getting everything in
2: place for that? Yeah. Basically, you know, every year, advertisers saying what's your schedule we need your schedule what what issues are you going to be publishing this year so we really pretty much in the uh, say fall of this year october we'll formulate next year's 2019's editorial calendar and that has all you know each of the 12 issues outline what the what the basic directory is going to be that we're going to publish and the directory usually uh signals what the feature topic is going to be whether it's you know, managers and agents or film and TV, music supervisors, that sort of thing. Uh, and so that usually means I'll be looking, for example, for for a film and TV supervisor. We'll, we'll be looking for a, a feature that's going to mirror that. Uh, maybe it might be a, a, a round table of, of supervisors who work on TV shows or movies. That, or this year we might do a gaming uh, feature. You know, uh, strictly mm-hmm. composers who, who compose for video games. That's right. That usually takes, you know, a while to compile those sources. You need to do the interviews and transcribe them. And, and our writers really generally need about two months to really do a good job on an article like that. So uh, that's why I say three months, because it gives you a little bit of a, of a pad, you know, to if something goes wrong, or somebody bails out, if your writer gets hit by a bus, you always have a little bit of time to uh, go to plan B. But we have a very, you know, in 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 print uh, schedule of what issues we're going to be doing from month to month. And it usually doesn't doesn't change during that, that that year. And you usually stick to that very closely.
0: How difficult is it to get the directories together?
2: Usually when we're doing a, a new directory that we haven't done before, that's a lot of R and D on that, a lot of combing, beating the bushes, you know, trying to find, you know, good good uh, sources there. Uh, but generally speaking it's, it's a matter of you know, just continually refreshing what we've done the previous couple of years and weeding out the deadwood, and also finding new, new, uh, new uh, sources. I mean, Eric, I think Eric, you found like how many new recording studios this past year? 60. Sixty new recording studios, which we added to our recording studio directory. So that doesn't happen all the time, but it, but it happens, you know. Yeah. And uh, as we've gone from being a LA and California centric magazine that to be more national, we have more of a national readership and people are, are looking to us for that sort of information. I mean, we do, we have people from, we did a demo critique from a, a band from Dubai last year, you know, the ki- kids are just you know finding us online and they see that there's a place that will, will review unsigned artists music, you know, and give you a really good, uh, going over, you know, really getting into your material and giving you some feedback. And this is what people want. They want, they don't want to be ignored. There's so much music being made nowadays uh, that to, 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 to be noticed at all is, is something uh, pretty special. So we try to, uh, to notice as many people as we can. We do live reviews uh, of, of people's uh, performances. And then we also do the recorded music as well. And all this stuff is accessed on our website. Just go to the review section. And you can formally sign up. It's always free, and we randomly pick uh, a bunch of artists per per month to 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 focus on. Mm-hmm. You know, so uh, uh, I invite everybody to do that. It's 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 free and easy.
0: That's very cool. That being said, what is the most fun thing that you do? Is there something that you look forward to doing?
2: Oh yeah, I mean, you know, it's really cool. is it's, funny. it's like. To work on something for a month and it comes out, you can actually hold a publication in your hand. Yeah, that's still a very cool thing. When it comes in, guy comes in with a truck and he drops a bunch of boxes on you. You know, it's and it's funny. Publicists are still asking me, um, you know, yeah, Mark, you're gonna do that article about such and such a band. It's gonna be in the print, right? I said, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be in the print too. So, okay, so I will make sure everybody likes that tangible thing dropped in their lab yeah. and i do too i you know we work hard this thing all month and even though we do the website every day when we have a podcast and we have all these digital things there's something about that print that gives us more credibility and it's also a cool a cool you know concrete item that you can kind of leaf through and and look at you know the page per page see how it came out and now you envisioned it and what you would do better next time but you, it's just it's just fun You know, it really is fun working on a magazine, which uh, I realize is a privilege nowadays because there aren't as many as there used to be.
0: Yeah, yeah. What would be the biggest job for you? In other words, is there something that takes more of your time than anything else?
2: Oh, that's a good question. Um, You know, there's there's nothing that really does, you know, I I would say just email in general is a real time sucker. (laughs) You know, it's really, and there's so many, because you want to help people out. And so, so many emails are like, uh, I can't answer this one right now, so you put it aside. And so by, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon, I've got like fifteen emails that I'm going. Oh, I got to answer that guy. I got to answer that girl. I got to, you know, that band really want. You know, and it's like, what can I tell them? We're all full for next issue. You know. Yeah. And that's probably the most unpleasant part of the job is not being able to help as many bands as I can. But uh, email is really it's been a godsend on one hand, but it's also just. Uh, you know, it's like playing Space Invaders all day. It's just, they keep dropping in on you. You gotta keep you know, deleting them. You yeah, know, most of them <laughs> come through. We all deal with it and it's, it's part of the job.
0: Yeah, yeah, right. Well, very cool, Mark. Let's get Eric back in so we can finish up. I have two final questions for you, Eric. One was wasn't there a sister publication called Songwriter Connection that you published once upon a time?
1: There was. Wow. Yes. Uh, That occurred in 1984. What had happened was um, there was an original publication called Songwriter that was published for about eight or ten years by a guy named Len Latimer, and uh, he went out of business. And my partner back then, Michael Dolan and myself, said, you know, there's a niche here in the marketplace. Let's start. A songwriter, a publication just for songwriters, just like the original Songwriter Magazine was, and we put that together, and uh, it was called Songwriter Connection. We had four issues. Our first issue was a beautiful cover with uh, Stevie Wonder, and we had Sting, Alabama. I think what the fourth cover was, I don't remember. But we put out four issues, and what happened was we got a little bit over our head and um, rolled it out as a fully national publication. We weren't really financed in such a way to pull it off, and we wound up selling it to uh, a publisher back east. And he he put it out for about another year, and then that was the end of that. So we only did four issues, but I'm very proud of the issues. They're beautiful magazines. And um, we actually made made a marketing mistake, and this never ceases to amaze me. Back then in the early 80s, there was a very large songwriting organization called the American Song Festival. It was a big uh, contest. Well, we got their list. We made a deal with them. We got their list, and we sent out a flyer that we were starting this songwriting publication. The money poured in. We had so many subscriptions. It was wonderful. You know, Business Replied. Everything back then was all mail. This is 1983 and four. Then, after we got the first issue, which was Stevie Wonder, Gorgeous Magazine, we said, now what we'll do is we'll get an updated list. We'll send out the magazine to the people with an offer to subscribe, and it bombed. When we teased people with a flyer, it came in. We sent, then, with a better list, we sent the magazine out. Uh, we couldn't believe it. Wow. We couldn't believe it. So it just it was, it was a marketing experience on, you know, you, you want to always tease when you give somebody the product. Because back then, everybody paid for everything. Yeah. There was no free magazines. Everybody paid, you know, for magazines. Uh, and like I said, honestly, we had a little bit over our head. We wound up selling it and uh, went back to doing music. We were still doing music next at the time as well. So it was really a tremendous amount of work. And uh, that was it. We did four issues.
0: I specifically remember the Sting issue. For some reason, yes. I, I remember it just sticks in my brain. That's why I had to ask you. Okay, but that perfectly leads into my last question for you. What is the best piece of business advice that maybe you learned along the way or maybe someone
1: imparted to you? Wow, well, that's a good question. I think more than anything is to to not only obviously be focused, but, but, but stay the course with whatever you're doing. You know, there, there's people that will throw negatives at you. Oh, that's not working. You can't do it. You don't have enough money. Bah, 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 bah. And you just have to be fully committed to what you're doing and not listen to your little voice that tells you you're not doing well, you're screwing up, and stay the course. It, it, because it always seems to take so much longer, so much more money, so much more time, so much more energy to do it. But if you stay the course, you believe in what you do, it usually will always work out and I don't know if anyone ever gave me that advice but with with Michael and I at the beginning because I had had a pretty good job that i had left to do this and the first couple of years I struggled I mean I we were really struggling the first two or three years I had a buddy of mine move into my my one-bedroom apartment sleeping on the couch I and mean, it was <laughs> it was tough the first couple of years but I was committed and I knew this is this would eventually take off and we knew what we were doing was a good thing we were making the other thing is real important is both of us really wanted to make a difference in the community we wanted to make a difference with people and when you see that you're making a difference and you're enhancing people's lives it keeps you going it, it makes you feel good and, and you know it's like having a purpose everybody needs purpose yeah and you had a purpose
0: If you want to read a copy of Music Connection, you can do it online at musicconnection.com. And it's free, by the way, one of the few publications that actually give you the whole magazine for free online. Thanks for listening and being in my Inner Circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyownercircle.com. To listen to other episodes of Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle, go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyownercircle.com, or find it on iTunes, Stitcher, Mixcloud, and Google Play. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyownercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-up form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time.